Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, it's great to be uh, back at uh, Calvary Chapel South Bay again, and so excited to be with those who are part of this uh, wonderful church family, as well as those who are joining us uh, from uh, other places all over the uh, unbelievable, unprecedented season of this uh, pandemic continues, and uh, uh, with it also continuing is our series on uh, promises, promises, and uh I had something else entirely planned, as some of you know, but uh, God had something different in mind. And uh, when everything began to kind of melt down, just as I was supposed to be starting on Romans chapter 8, I thought, well, what can I teach that is uh, perfectly suited for these times? Uh, Typically, a series like this on God's uh, promises and uh, how to get through the toughest of times would be something I would be commending to you to sort of save and put in a, in case of fire, remove hammer, break glass sort of position, but instead, um, I'm actually uh, bringing it to you now because, uh, of course, that's the kind of situation that we're in. So uh, let me just have a word of prayer, and uh, we will uh, get right into this study and continue with the uh, promises of God and uh, all that he has for us. Father, we're grateful to be opening your word. We thank you for the promise that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so we ask you now in the name of Jesus that you would cause your word to become as you've promised faith to us, life to us, uh, hope to us, healing to us. We thank you, God, that you're a promising God. And uh, we thank you for the understanding that you're giving to us. So we uh, look to you now and to your spirit uh, to uh, build us up in our faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So uh, brain bomb just ahead, brain bomb. So uh, secure your helmet if you're susceptible to having the top of your head blown off. Second uh, Corinthians, uh, two passages in this message primarily. The first one is Second Corinthians chapter 1, uh, where I'll just start in verse 3 and uh, try to get to it. This is just really, really something. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. He goes along a little bit. Let me pick up in verse eight. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia while we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the secret life of the servant of Christ revealed by the apostle Paul. If you actually go to the place in Asia Minor, you're like, man, everyone's getting saved. Everyone's getting blessed. People are getting healed. When you read it in the book of Acts, you're like, woohoo, this is awesome. But when you see the behind the scenes into the life of the person who is actually doing the ministry, you see the price that's being paid. Just when all the awesome things were happening, Paul describes it as so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despair that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we uh, felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And he goes on and talks about that resurrection, the impact that it made upon him. But I want to just scoot a little bit uh, later uh, in the chapter 
and read to you from verse 19, 2 Corinthians 1, 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Savanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Boom. Here it is. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That, that really is something. I, I'm sure your head isn't blown off yet. It took me a little bit of studying it. So just wait with me here. We've been starting each one of these teachings on a promise, and I'm going to get to promise number five uh, through a review in just a moment. But at the outset of every message, we've been doing something we're calling a theology of promise. And the theology of promise is just like uh, a theology of salvation. What do I believe of salvation? I believe it's by grace through faith or uh, a theology of scripture. What do I believe about Scripture? I believe that uh, Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable and is accessed by faith. And you could have a theology of family. And I believe in the importance of marriage and raising and training and raising up. You can have a theology of a lot of things. What's your theology of God's promises? You need to have a theology of promise to access those benefits. It's more than having a little loaf of bread uh, ceramic on your table with a bunch of little cards to read out, like was at my grandmother's house, and we'd read a promise before uh, Sunday dinner. Here's a theology of promise, number one, and they're right in the passage here. Um, this is review still. God is a promiser. God is a promiser. God, it is in God's nature to promise. And uh, notice it says here, for all the promises of God. And New American Standard says, as many as are the promises of God. NIV says, no matter how many promises. The consensus translation is kind of like this. God's made a ton of promises. God is always making promises. Why? Because he loves his children. And we have learned the difference between, I'll bag the envelopes this week, between the promise made and the promise, oh, a little smudgy here, and the promise received. The promise made and the promise received. And we're living in between. We know what God said. We don't have it yet. We know what he promised, the promise he made, but we haven't received it yet. And so promises are what, this is the definition I'm circling back, promises. What God gives us so we can walk by faith while we wait for him to work. Why is God always promising? Because he loves us and he sees us in between made and received. Made and received. God's made some promises about your marriage. God's made some promises about your singleness. God's made some promises about your finances. God's made some promises about your victory. God's made some promises about your health. God's made some promises about your future. God's made some promises about your children. You're like, I have it, but I don't have it. Right, I have the promise, and it's what I hold on to while I wait for God to work. Point one, God is a promiser. Also right from this text I just read, God keeps his promises. They find their yes in him. Stated is not yes. Made is not yes. Received is yes. And this is going to be the important point. They find their yes in him. God is ensuring that the promises that he made happened. I quoted to you a little while ago, Jeremiah 1. 
uh, I think, 12, that he watches over his word to perform it. God is, what's God doing today? I know what I'm doing today. What's God doing today? He's watching over his word to perform it. He's reviewing the things that he's promised will happen, and he's making sure that they happen. When you sign a mortgage with the bank, you are promising to pay your mortgage. Does the bank watch over your finances to ensure that you perform what you've promised? Absolutely, they do. They watch over the promise to make sure that it happens. The police post speed limits. Ever got a caught in a radar? They were watching over the agreement to make sure that it was performed. Now, the police don't do it perfectly, and sometimes they break the law themselves. And the bankers don't do it perfectly. Sometimes maybe they can't pay their mortgage. But God is not lacking ability or capacity. He's very aware of what he said, and he is watching over his word to perform it. So much so that not only is God a promiser and keeps his promises, but God wants us to test his promises. Now, this may surprise you a little bit, but if you've ever been to a concert, this wasn't so much true when I was in high school, but more as my kids got into high school, there was this kind of really big thing where, where you would like, I think it's like called body surfing or what's it called? Crowd surfing, where you kind of like get to the edge and you sort of throw yourself out on the crowd. Now, in an empty auditorium during the COVID, this would be a bad time for me to try to do this. But I have to say, I always thought it was kind of cool that you just sort of get up to the edge and I don't think they check with anybody. There's no signed agreement. You just kind of throw yourself out on the crowd and they hold you up. I think if I do that the next time the room is full without checking with the people, I think they're going to have a sense of, you know, we're okay to hold you up, but it would have been nice if you asked us first if we were willing to do that. What if we didn't actually put our hands up and hold you up? You would have crashed and we would have felt put upon for letting you crash. That's not God. God is not in any sense ever burdened or bothered by us putting ourselves out on his promises. When I was a kid, we used to go to this uh, kind of big campgrounds, like a state park sort of thing near our house. It was called Fanshawe. And there was a big, big a dam, and then there was all this area where uh, the water was allowed to build up like a little man-made lake, so to speak. And we would, in the wintertime, it was pretty fun uh, to get out on that ice and just skate and skate and skate. Not like at a rink, not like at a park, but as far as you could go. So you had to stop and rest to go back again. And one of the things we would like to do is we'd like to go out when it was getting a little warmer in March. But did you know this, that in the lakes... Close to shore where the water is shallow, that's where it melts first. Not because um, it's weaker ice, but because there's less water to freeze. And out in the center, maybe where it's 50 feet deep, the ice might be four or five feet thick. But in the shore areas, it would actually be uh, melted and back to water again. And sometimes when we would go there, I can remember we would put our skates over our shoulder and we would like run and try to jump off the shore far enough to land on the ice that would hold us up. Now, (laughs) let me say that's not a perfect science. And if you would not jump far enough, you would hit and go through. We'd call that a soaker, but it wasn't that deep, maybe up to your knees, your waist, and you'd pull yourself out again and, and put your skates on and and off you'd go. And we'd do the same thing when we were leaving. We would want to jump over the water to shore. And so you'd go as far as you could as the ice was getting thinner. And if you waited too long and you didn't jump soon enough, you would break off the piece and go down into the water again. That illustration is a complete 
non-illustration of anything to do with God's promises. You're not in danger of falling in. You're not in danger of slipping off. There's, we used to call it a soaker. You, you just kind of get your foot in it and it would be cold. And you're not in danger of getting a soaker in any matter related to God's promises. And he wants us, remember, God's a promiser. God keeps his promises. God wants us to test his promises. And last time we talked about God's promises are activated by faith. They actually, it's faith that makes them real. It's faith that makes them realized. I don't want you to think that faith is passive. Well, I believe. I mean, I went forward. I signed that card. I, that's not the faith of the Christian life. The faith of the Christian life is not passive. It's active. That's why Jesus was frequently saying things like, man, we couldn't do much in that city because of their unbelief, Jesus said. Or he would say to his disciples, oh, you of little faith. Or uh, he would say, uh, whatever you ask in faith, believe it and you will receive it. Do you see faith is so, so integral. It's how it goes from I've heard it to it's real for me. It's happening now. That's how you make that transition. So God's promises are activated by faith. And uh, this is so important because, I mean, what's worse than the guy with the serious health issue, but Dude, did you go to the pharmacy? No. Did you go to the doctor? No. All right, well, I mean, God's going to fill in the gap between what you did and what only he can do. But God's never made promises. I'll do the part that you could do yourself. This is why when Jesus would do a miracle, they're always be like, well, why do I have to go dip in the river seven times? Why do I have to go door to door and gather jars for oil, the widow, widow from Second Kings 4? You study the miracles in the Bible. There's always the, you do this, then he'll do the rest. I do all that I can do. God does the rest. And, the, and, and frequently the part that he asks us to do is a little bit kind of like, what? The river's dirty. I don't want spitty clay on my eyes. I don't want to go have to ask my neighbors for oil. They'll think I'm weird. Right. There's always just that little element of getting out on the, there's, on the ice. There's that little bit of a risk that's involved. If God doesn't do this, I'm going to look like a dope. Correct. Then why are you doing it? Because I have faith. I believe that what God said he will do. The promise is activated by faith. Now, this is the fifth and last element, new material. This is the fifth and last element in our theology of promises. And it's this. God's promises are experienced, activated by faith, but they are experienced in Jesus Christ. I have so, so appreciated Pastor Jeff's emphasis, even in the message of this morning, on your personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your access point for all that we profess actually being real in real time, in real ways to me. And that's here in the text. Notice that in the text, let me read the verse to you again. All the promises of God find their yes, just underlined there, in him, in him, 
in him. Notice, yes to the promise is in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is, underline this too, through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Let's go back over the promises and I'll add the fifth one. I will not fear God is with me. Who is with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Most specifically with me is Jesus Christ by his spirit. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even. So there's the promise. I'm with you. Jesus Christ is with us. It's him. It's him. I used to love that uh, this uh, little uh, statement that Chuck Swindoll made. It was such a great quote. I've never tried to say it better. He said it so beautifully. He said, God does not dispense his strength and encouragement like a druggist fills a prescription. He promises us himself. And that's all. And that's enough. Jesus Christ is the promise of God. God's promises are experienced in Jesus Christ. So there's promise one. I will not fear God is with me. Jesus Christ is with me. I will not doubt God is in control. Who's in control? Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, you know, Hebrews chapter one, it's like one of the like rock star passages of the whole Bible to use a terrible analogy. It's like, oh my gosh, Hebrews one. God, who in many times, in many ways spoke to us through our fathers, has in these last days spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, by whom he upholds all things. What is holding the world, the universe together? Jesus Christ is. Colossians says the same thing, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, centripetal force. Jesus Christ, centrifugal force. Jesus Christ, gravity. Jesus Christ, keeping the planets moving in a galactic choreography that staggers the mind. Jesus Christ, doing it all. No wonder he's the promises of God. He is the one who is with me. I will not fear. He is the one who is in control. So as I sit, to use my fun little analogy from last time, as I sit and where are we going again? He's with me. He's in control. Are we going over the falls? He's not telling me. I guess if we go over the falls, it'll be okay. He's going to make it okay. He's going to make it work out because why? He is with me. He is in control, Jesus Christ. And then he's good. He is good. I love what it says. Jesus said in John chapter 10, can you finish the sentence? I am the good, say it. I am the good shepherd. He's a good shepherd, y'all. He's a good shepherd. He knows where to lead his sheep. He said, my sheep, same passage, John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Someplace good. Someplace really good. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. He said it, but I'm not feeling it. Right. And so I hold on to his promise until it's received. I live in that place by faith. And he himself is the promise. The promises of God are experienced in Jesus Christ. I will not fear God is with me. I will not doubt God is in control. 
I will not despair. God is good. And then last time, I will not falter. God is watching. Colossians 1.17 says that in him, Jesus Christ, all things are held together. All things are held together. All things. What do you mean by all things? I'm all things. Well, what things? All things. Which part of all are you struggling with? All things. Everything is held together by Jesus Christ in this moment. Do you know that Peter says that in the end, that the earth will melt with fervent heat, that the entire system will come unglued because Jesus Christ will remove his sustaining presence and power, bringing about the end of the age and commencing his eternal rule. And if where would what would be happening right now? Would your heart still beat without Jesus Christ? Would air still fill your lungs without Jesus Christ? Would planets still turn? Would sun still rise? Would earth still spin without Jesus Christ? I say no. That unceasing power in the universe You want to live in God's presence? Start seeing every star, every ray of sunlight, every bit of oxygen, every earth principle is all created by and sustained by Jesus Christ. He is the one who is watching. And now this final promise, and next week in our last message in this series, we'll try to pull it all together. Last promise, I will not fail. God is always victorious. Now, before we go to the passage, you can turn to it if you want to. It's in Isaiah chapter 54, maybe one of my top promises in all of the Bible. But before we go there, I have to just take another minute and give you the theology behind God's promises are experienced in Jesus Christ. In him, everyone say in him. If you're sitting at home and you don't like to talk out loud because you think you don't have to because I can't hear you, Deal with your attitude and say, in him. Come on, say it. In him. Wow, when the cameramen are talking, you know that God is moving. Now, in him, in him. Romans eleven thirty six says, love this. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, your pen must be broke. In him, Romans eleven thirty six. of him and from him and through him and to him are all things. Jesus Christ is all the promises of God. He is our peace. His grace is sufficient. His word is enough. Now, I've taught those concepts before, but I have to say um, there was a time in my life, maybe 10 years into pastoring, when I just came completely and entirely, I wish I could say for the last time, but really for the first time, I came completely and entirely to the end of my own resources. And God really touched me with a book uh, written in the year I was born, 1960, by uh, a man named Ian Thomas. He's once prayed at our church in Chicago. He's with the Lord now. But um, Romans chapter 5 Verse 10, you know, most people know Romans 5, 8, right? God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. But Romans 5, 10 goes on to say, if then being reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now we are being saved by his life. Always remember when you see saved in the Bible, it might be talking about election. It might be talking about 
uh, justification, conversion. It might be talking about sanctification or it might even be talking about glorification or it could be talking about all four. And every time you see saved, you're gonna be like, which part are we talking about now? And when Romans 5 10 says much more now we are being saved by its life is probably referring mainly to sanctification. As in, we were saved through faith in Jesus. We were declared and treated as righteous, justified by a holy God in deference to the finished work of his son, Jesus. And now that we are saved, if then being reconciled to God through the death of his son, justification, much more now we are being saved, sanctified, by his life. In other words, as Colossians chapter two, verse six says, as you receive the Lord, so walk in him. Now, I don't know your conversion story, but can I just tell you kind of how it goes? We've been blessed to have some pretty incredible weekends of ministry. And I have in pretty clear memory, uh, some times where I was blessed to baptize, you know, maybe a hundred or more people in one weekend. And when they give their testimony of conversion to Christ, they all kind of, we all think our story is unique, but it isn't that unique. Here's the story that everyone tells. And when you baptize 100 people, you've heard the story enough to know that the variables change, but the reality is the same. I was going along thinking I was too sexy for my shirt and God dropped a boulder on my life. That's the story. Now the labor, as I've often said, the label on the boulder changes you know, an accidental crisis, a financial breakdown, a breakdown of my marriage, a struggling sin that I just couldn't get victory over, a private addiction, a public embarrassment. The label on the boulder changes, but all of us have enough so that God's like, all right, this one's for her. Boom. I didn't think I needed God. Boom. Then I needed God. Now, if you're brought up in a Christian home, it's a little harder to find the boom for a four-year-old. Maybe it was just, I was afraid I didn't want to go to hell or I saw that my parents had something I didn't have. That's a little rock. That's a gracious, beautiful rock given to a child that God's already made some promises to by virtue of their parents' faith in Jesus and that God's not willing that any should perish and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your household, see? But the fact of the matter is this. We came to Christ at a moment of immense brokenness and humility and when Colossians 2, 6 says, as you receive the Lord, so walk in him, what do we want to do? We want to get up off the mourner's bench and get ourselves together and I'm saved. I'm saved now. We want to go on and kind of have it together a little bit and carry our Bibles. But actually, that moment on that mourner's bench is not just the way into God's family. It's the way forward in God's family. And repentance isn't a place that you visit. It's a place we're supposed to live And the first step with God of brokenness and repentance and acknowledgement of my sin and grace flooding in to cover it all, that's not just the way we start. That's the way we go forward. That is every single step is the same. So if God is using circumstances to bring you a place to a place of renewed dependence and brokenness before him, as he certainly is in our lives, Don't push that off as though somehow it has no place, but welcome it as a dearest friend that has always got you to better and deeper and fuller places with the Lord. Like Romans 5, 10, fine, but you should have some more verses to make. Okay, good. I'm always ready for that guy. Second Second Corinthians chapter four says, we are troubled on every side, yet not in distress, perplexed, but not in despair 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. I had a message I preached years and years ago, probably 25 years ago on that called Knocked Down and Not Knocked Out. Can you appreciate this, Pastor Jeff? This just sounds like a young guy's sermon. I called it Knocked Down but Not Knocked Out. We're troubled on every side but not in distress. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but, but not forsaken. We're struck down but we get up again. We're not destroyed and let's pray. That was terrible preaching. I left off verse 10. How? How, 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 how are we troubled but not in distress, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed? How is that possible? How is it possible that I didn't preach verse 10? Always bearing about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in my body. Ian Thomas says this, God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. None. Only for Jesus Christ to live his life through you. Want another one? Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Promises are activated by faith. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, listen, if no one's ever told you before, Jesus isn't just the way to the Christian life. He isn't just the truth about the Christian life, y'all. He's the, say it, he's the life. He's the life. He's the life. He's the strength. Back to Swindoll. He doesn't give it like a druggist fills a prescription. He gives himself. He's the life. What did Jesus say to the apostles? We're going to be starting this new thing called the church. You, you have no idea. It's, it's kind of a big deal. They're going to be talking about it for a long time. Great. Where do we start? Well, you don't do anything. You go get in a room and you wait for me by my Holy Spirit. Like he's going to be ascending into heaven in like another 45 seconds. And before he does, he's like, get in a room. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Can't we work on the brochures? No. Don't do, we want to go door to door and do a survey. Don't do anything till you have my spirit. Why? Because I am the Christian life. Me, Christ in you, Paul said, is the hope of glory. Now, all of that to say that True confessions, I'll go first. I have lived in, mainly in, but at times outside of that truth for over 20 years. In it, so peaceful and so filled with joy and outside of it, so, so painful and striving and lost. And I'm not the only one who figured this out. Martin Luther, I love the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This verse isn't as often quoted, but Luther must have known the same thing I'm teaching right now, that God's promises are experienced in Jesus Christ. He is the promise. Luther said, did we... In our own strength, confide. Our striving would be losing. 
<laughs> Have you seen this? Have you experienced the losing of the striving? Oh, well-intentioned, no doubt, and toward the best possible ends. But not getting there. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the men of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath, his name from age to age, the same. And he will win the battle. He will win the battle. If like me, you find your mind drifting to what should I do? What can I do? What will I do? Time to do or time to stop and hear the promiser who is the promise himself say, stand still, only be silent. You will not have to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. Wow. So, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in him. And if that seems to you like the different side of the same coin, um, I would say, um, no, it's not semantics. It's not a minor thing. I either see myself as I'm going to be like Jesus today. I'm going to be like Jesus today. I'm going to be like Jesus all day today. I've been watching Jesus and I'm going to be like him. I'm going to do stuff like he does it. I'm going to think like he thinks. I'm going to do stuff like Jesus all day today. You're going to fall flat on your face. I've lived those days. And then there is the, no, no, no. I'm going to lean into my fellowship with Jesus and the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to ask him to speak words out of my mouth and to see things through my eyes. And I'm going to ask Jesus Christ to, God has made no provision for me to live the Christian life, only for Jesus Christ to live his life through me. And just like a road that forks, and for a moment or two, if you've not heard this before, it seems as though it's not that much different, but let that play out over weeks and months and years, and you will find yourself in a very, very different place. And when I've altered my course back onto the lesser road of what I'm doing for God, I have uh, so grieved Myself and those I love that I have despaired even of serving God at all. And so back on the main road, back on the right path and trajectory, Jesus Christ is the Christian life. Now, with that in our minds, I have passionately exhausted nearly all my time before I got to the actual promise. So here it is. If I miss anything, I'll pick it up next week. Isaiah 54, 17. I will not fail... I will not fail. God is always victorious. Let me read the verse to you. Isaiah 54, 17. This is a real high point in scripture. If, um, you know, if, uh, well, I don't know, what's the tallest building in LA? It's not that Bonaventure Hotel, is it? It used to be that, but now there's like bigger ones. We've, I'm from Chicago. We don't think your buildings are all that impressive, but your beaches are. And... Let me just say, this would be like a really tall building, this one right here. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. 
The version that I memorized says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Boom. Let's go through that a part at a time and then I wanna pray with you and we're gonna sing, all right? You tracking with me? So let's just acknowledge that um, every one of us faces a certain kind of uncertainty, a certain kind of what's gonna happen, what's up ahead, am I gonna be okay? This promise is pretty unbelievable. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Uh, the Hebrew here uh, for weapon is any tool or utensil used against a person. Anything anyone would use against you is what it is. Any tool that would be fashioned to cause you harm. No car, no phone, no checkbook, no knife, no narcotic, no gun, gun in the terms of the actual uh, weapons. No, and then fashioned against you, built, sharpened, um, aligned, aimed, fired, any tool utilized to create disadvantage for you, for you as in for you, for your family, for you, for your church family, for you, for God's kingdom, for you, for God's people. This applies to God's people in all places at all times. Ultimately, I acknowledge that the promise has been made. I acknowledge that we have not received it. And there are things that your mind rushes to now that says, nope, nope, nope. And I would just say, not yet, not yet. God knows what he says. He's on it. It is coming. Jesus Christ himself will make sure. Now, no weapon fashioned against you will prosper. That doesn't mean it won't gain some yards. That doesn't mean that it won't accomplish some setbacks for a season. It means that NIV, uh, um, ESV here translates it succeed. NIV translates it prevail. Prevail is talking about the end. So to use a football analogy, because people often tell me how athletic I look, or, or used to say so, I mean, years ago. To use a football analogy, this is not promising that you won't lose yards. It just promises you that in the end, you'll be ahead and score a touchdown. It doesn't mean that you won't lose possession of the ball and fumble or throw an interception. It just means you'll get the ball back again. It doesn't mean that you won't lose games during the season. It just means at the end, you'll hoist the trophy over your head. You see? And so the promise is no weapon formed against you will succeed in the end. No final victory, no ultimate outcome, no thing that you will wish you could reverse in eternity. Nothing like that. You say, well, James, my problem isn't the weapons. My problem's the words. Great, look back at the text. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Every tongue ridiculing your loyalty to Christ. Every tongue scorning your stand for righteousness. Every tongue rebuking your fidelity to God's agenda. Every person speaking in slander or some form of 
degrading, who doesn't see it all, doesn't know it all, thinks that partial is whole, thinks that momentary is entire, thinks that point in time is totality of you. No man is known by his worst day and no tongue that rises against you in judgment. Notice, not that it won't prosper. He goes way beyond it, not prospering. It's not just that you're going to win like with the weapons. With the words, you will actually condemn. The slanderer will be slain, proven conclusively to be in error, and justly condemned. I believe that our awareness of our own sin before the holiness of God, just as we cast our crowns before him, feeling unworthy to wear them, We'll be given opportunity to condemn, but in recognition of our own sin, we will defer to the only righteous one. And Jesus Christ will decide the fate of all of those. That's why the scripture says it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. That's not our job. When Even when Paul at the end of his life said, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And so we entrust these matters to the one who said, vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. And we do it with the humility of recognizing that we are not just the injured, we are the injurer. We are not just the wounded, we are the wounder. And so the promise stands, perfect justice will come. And if this is needed, if this is required, every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. Every person listening right now knows the pain of others in opposition to you, to God's will for your life, to God's blessing on your family. Where will it all end? It'll all end in Isaiah 54, 17. In God's time, it'll go from promise made to promise received. And this will be our eternal reality. God is always victorious. Can I read you one more verse as I draw to a close? Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says this. Romans 16, everybody loves Romans. Not many people love Romans 16, but there's just awesome stuff in here as everywhere. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. I'm apparently we're in the stomping party. Under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush. You're like, but when? The text says soon. Well, how soon? How soon? How soon? Sooner than you think. Sooner than you realize. Looking back, it will seem sooner than it felt as you waited. The promise here is that Satan will not, the promise here is not that Satan will not win a skirmish. That Satan will not even Make some tackles and some takedowns to a child, to a marriage, to a church. The promise is that for those who love God, for those who are on his program, in the end, God wins. I read the back of the book and God wins. God wins in the end and we win with him. That's reality. All in favor of the truth, God wins in the end. God wins. God wins. And we win with him. And we don't wish another victory and we don't wish a greater vindication and we don't wish a sooner anything. He doesn't just do it. He does it totally and he does it on time and he does it perfectly. And when he's done, we all say, oh Lord, you do all things well. Now, as I close, let me just say, you cannot make complete sense 
of the plans and purposes of God. You cannot make complete sense of the promises of God made without realizing that some of these things are not days away or weeks away or months away or years away. Some of these things are in eternity. Some of them. And I hope you get to see, as we said, I would have despaired unless I'd believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I hope you get to see the majority of it, the most of it, right here on planet Earth. But as Pastor Jeff was saying earlier in the sermon from this morning so beautifully, some of it doesn't make sense without eternity. And there is a heaven and there is a hell. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says that I has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And some of the things that you're enduring are not going to make sense until eternity. And you're not going to be disappointed with heaven. Can I just tell you that? You're not going to be disappointed with heaven. All right. He made this beautiful earth and universe in six days. We've been working on heaven for over 2000 years. Do you think you're going to walk into heaven and be disappointed? Do you think you're going to be like, this is it? This is it? No, no, nothing like human disappointment with heaven. Your mouth will be agape for 10,000 years. Mind has not, mind has not seen nor has ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has revealed to those who love him, prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them by his spirit. On the contrary, the Bible says in regard to hell, Matthew 9, 42, where the worm does not die, where the fire is not quenched. As awesome as heaven is, hell will be that awful. So much so that you would not wish it on your worst enemy. The great theologian Charles Hodge confronts, you know, preachers are always, and they talk about the hell and damnation preachers and the red-faced, pulpit-pounding, hellfire preacher. Charles Hodge said, um, the Scots uh, theologian said, aye, but can you say it without a tear in your eye? The furies and the horrors of hell are so harsh and so awful, reflecting the utter holiness of God that you would not wish it on your worst enemy if you understood even the borderlands of it. God, forgive us for our prideful harshness toward others and give us the tenderheartedness of anticipating that hell will be beautiful and wonderful for all for whom he has prepared it. And we are giving our lives to see as many of those we know and love Spend that time there with us. God is always victorious. A big victory is coming. His purposes will be accomplished. His enemies will be defeated. The faithful will be rewarded. His son will be on the throne established forever. And death itself will be defeated for all time. So put that in your pipe and smoke it in the middle of the COVID thing. All right? We got the promises, y'all. We got the promises. And all the promises in him are yes and amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.